0: Today, on Grace to the Hearers, with Pastor Eric Kluth.
1: See, the problem with Israel and Samuel was there was sin once again in the camp. The sin of Phinehas and Holfani. Their, their wickedness on how they were taking God's offerings for themselves and how they were committing sexual immorality with the women around the temple. These guys were wicked and they were driving the people away from God. But yet, nothing was being done
0: about it. How serious is God about sin? Today, Pastor Eric, in his reading from 1 Samuel 4, displays the sin problem that Israel had in God's eyes. Maybe you have become too careless with a sinful lifestyle or have not been disciplined in refraining from things that you should. Your relationship with God will suffer as long as He is pushed out by sin. Well, let's join Pastor Eric for part one of his message in 1 Samuel 4.
1: 1 Samuel 4, titled the message tonight, if you're a note-taker, look deeper, look deeper. Verse 1, starting in chapter 4, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines, and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. Verse 3, And when the people had come into camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophani, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Verse five. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Verse 9, Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel thirty thousand foot soldiers. In verse eleven. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, died. Looks right on the outside, right, but wrong on the inside. The Israelites went into battle against the Philistines, and first off in that first battle, there was four thousand men that died. That's a great loss. Four thousand men. That's that's a big deal. 4,000 men perished. And so then the people returned back to camp, and the elders, the leaders of Israel, the the troops, said, why has God defeated us? Why has God defeated us? Good question that they were asking. Then the thought comes comes in their mind, saying, you know what? I know what was missing. I know it was missing. We need the Ark of the Covenant in our presence. We need to bring the Ark of the Covenant where God is, is at, and we need to bring Him into our presence. Then we'll win. Then we'll win. So, hey, let's send word. Hey, we need the Ark of the Covenant delivered to the campsite today. And well, guess who brought it? Hophenai and, and Phinehas, the two wicked priests that were committing sin. They take it to the campsite, and once they bring the, the Ark of the Covenant into the campsite, all the troops shout, probably because they were excited. "Yes, God's presence is here. We are going to win against the Philistines." Now the Philistines hear this huge noise and this racket going on from the camp of Israel, and they question it saying, "What does this noise mean?" This loud voice, it shook the ground. That's how loud this is going. They're pumped. Fear came upon the Philistines. They got wind that the ark of God was in the camp of the Hebrews. They got news that they, uh, they, God was in the presence of uh, the camp, or so they thought. And that brought fear. Because, you guys, the Philistines knew about the power of God. They knew about God's power. But notice in the Bible, it says that it's these gods delivered the Egyptians. Or, you know, delivered the Israelites, the Egyptians to the Israelites. They didn't fully understand it was God, but they knew that there was a power behind it that was with Israel. But that didn't let them cower down though what was the word that ran through the philistine camp man up man up be a man and go fight you can't be delivered to these guys we're going to go and fight them we're going to kill them and what happens they fought and israel was defeated once again this time though 30,000 israelites died wait a minute Didn't they, they fought once without the Lord and then they sent for the Ark of the Covenant so they had God's presence there, right? No, they had a box there. They didn't have God's presence with them. They were wondering, why did this happen? Well, it reminds me, if you guys remember our study in Joshua, it reminds me of what happened in Ai. How Joshua led Israel to to what he thought would be a sure victory, to Ai. But Israel suffers that huge defeat. And Joshua, he's mourning, and he's crying out to God. He's like, why did this happen? And God told him why. In fact, this is what God said in Joshua chapter 7, verse 11. He says, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have been become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. That's heavy. The words that I will not be with you anymore should throw a chill down your spine. That is the Lord God speaking to the children of Israel because they had committed a sin. They had transgressed against God's covenant. And so God was straight up with Joshua and he says, You want to have victory? Then you need to remove the sin from the camp. And he goes on he tells Joshua to get the people ready. And sure enough, what did Joshua do? He was right on it. He says, we need to cl- cleanse ourselves and we need to get this out of our camp. And that's when the story of Achan comes in and the Lord kills him and his family. Pretty intense. See, the problem with Israel and Samuel was there was sin once again in the camp. The sin of Phinehas and Hophani. Their their wickedness on how they were taking God's offerings for themselves and how they were committing sexual immorality with the women around the temple. These guys were wicked and they were driving the people away from God. But yet, nothing was being done about it. And so they have this idea to go to battle against the Philistines. And sure enough, what took place? A great defeat. Why? Because God wasn't in their presence. There was sin in the camp that had to be dealt with. The elders were right on track by trying to include the Lord. They were right there. That was a right thought. But the problem is, is that they were relying on physical things of God versus the relational part of God. They were dealing with the physical things of God and not focusing on the relational part of God. So two things that we can pull from this text that can go into our lives today. Number one, the importance of dealing with sin. The importance of dealing with sin. And when it comes to sin, it can be so easy to start sweeping that under the rug. You know, just like it didn't happen. Or I really don't even know if I'm sinning or not. But if we don't constantly check, if we don't have God checking our hearts and coming humbly before him and saying, I'm emptying myself of you. If there's anything impure in me, please forgive me. Even if you don't know that you're committing a sin, when's the last time you've asked God to examine your heart? To examine to see if there is a sin. And if there is a sin and if you know about it, why are you holding on to it? Because it only causes more problems. It's easy to sweep sin under a rug. But the Lord tells us differently. He tells us to deal with it. He tells us to acknowledge, acknowledge. When you acknowledge someone, you pay attention to them, right? So you need to acknowledge. We need to acknowledge our sin is what God is asking us to do. Psalm 32, 5, he says, I acknowledge, I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. How many of us hide our sins? Probably more than we should. And he continues on. The psalmist continues and says, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Say, law. Say, law means to pause. To think about that. Let it soak into your mind and into your heart. I have acknowledged my transgressions, and I have confessed my sin so that you can forgive me. Psalm 51, verse 2 and 3 says this, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. We don't want to acknowledge them because we don't want to be in pain of those sins. We don't want to hold on to them. We don't want to be in bondage into the sin. So I'd rather ignore my sin so I don't have to deal with it. Deal with it. Acknowledge them. Here's the fact. We all have sinned. So you don't have to pretend like you don't want to deal with sin because you're going to sin. Because you're imperfect acknowledge your sins so that christ can cleanse you he died for those sins don't pretend that it's not there because it is there don't pretend don't ignore it it's not going to go away until christ takes it away i like that it's not going to go away until christ takes it away Number two, the Lord tells us to do, how to deal with our sin is to ask for His forgiveness. In Jeremiah thirty-three eight, this is God speaking. This is amazing. Pay attention to this: I will cleanse cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Isn't that amazing? Let it soak into your heart. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquity, right? Now I can't see. Which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. That is a powerful statement given by our Lord Jesus Christ, God, right there. Powerful Because here's the fact, here's the reality, is when sin is acknowledged, when sin is confessed, Jesus Christ then cleanses us from our transgressions, from our sins. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. Titus, the book of Titus, says this in in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus Christ has cleansed us. He has redeemed us from every lawless deed. Lawless deed means anything that goes against God. Anything that goes against his word, his commandments, his ways. And I am guilty of going against God's ways throughout my day. But I know that I have an advocate with the Father in Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I praise God because I, instead of uh, just holding on to these sins, if I want to be perfected, how many of you don't want to sin? That should be every single one of us. If not, man, I pray that your heart is softened to the Lord Jesus. Because we should desire not to sin anymore. But here's the thing. If you don't acknowledge sin, then how are you not going to sin anymore? If you don't acknowledge sin, how do you know not to not do it anymore? Because you're putting it away. Deal with it. Come to the thing. Learn from it. Ask for forgiveness. And then move forward in the blood of Jesus Christ. The second thing we can pull from this text for our lives is this. The physical things that represent God have no power. The physical things that represent God have no power? What do you mean? This is weird. This is different. Well, here's the deal. God himself is power. God himself is power. Okay? How many people feeling defeated think that church is the answer? If you go out into the world and you ask somebody who is at the bottom of the barrel and you say, man, how are you doing? And they know that you're a believer. Oh, man, dude, I need to get back into church. (laughs) I need to start reading my Bible more. Have you guys had those conversations? I need to get back into church. They just see you and they're like, oh, I know I got to be back in church, man. Okay. Yeah, we want you. They think that here, if I go to church, hey, if I read my Bible, then that's what's missing in my life, and I will have success, just like the children of Israel thought if they brought the Ark of the Covenant into their presence, that they would have success against the Philistines. Church and the Bible are great. (laughs) Wonderful. Fellowship is amazing, right? But they don't bring victory. Yes, I know the Bible is living. I know that. I know that there is the power of God. The Word is Jesus. I know all that. But here's the thing, you guys. How many read it and don't learn from it? How many read it and don't learn from it? How many come to church and their lives aren't changed when they leave, after they hear the Word, after they worship God? How many people go back into their lives of sin after they went to church? See, if the heart behind the physical things of God is cold, if you're involved in the physical things and the heart is cold to God, there is no power, okay? That means that this is just a book. But I know that it's not. This is just a building. It's just a building. It's just a book. If the heart behind it towards God is cold there is no power. A recent Barna Group poll said 66% of Christians reported to say that they've had a personal connection with God in a church. 66% of people who were polled said that they've had a connection with God in a church. Well, that's a good amount, right? But what about the 34%? 34% 34% of people sitting in the pews, sitting in the chairs in churches in America have had not had a connection with God personally. That's crazy. That's craziness, right? It's all about the relationship with God. It's not about the physical things of God. It's about the personal relationship with God. Let me read you what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. This is going to... Blow your socks off if you're wearing socks. This is from uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. The New Living Translation version. But it's like if we were sitting here today, if he was addressing Christians today. He says, you who call yourselves Jews, and whenever it says Jews, I put in my mind the word Christian. Okay? Believer. You who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law. And you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use uh, use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Gentiles in our society would be the non-believers, okay? They blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you, Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew, just because you were born of Jewish parents, or because you have gone through a ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. A true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. For there to be a true change in a person's heart, for a true change within a man's heart, a person to go from defeated to success the heart of the person needs to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be produced by the Holy Spirit. The church, religious deeds, reading your Bible, those things did not die for you on the cross. The church didn't die for you. The Bible didn't die for you. The, the, The religious deeds didn't die for you. Jesus Christ died for you. These are all tools that God uses to point people to the one who gives victory to man. The one, the only way to have victory is if you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Charles Spurgeon, I'm reading this book called Soul Winner. I don't know if any of you have ever read the book or not. It's quite interesting. He's really hardcore, uh, just tells it how it is. And he's like, you know, we can't get away from the message of the cross. And it's all about the cross and not trying to build people's emotions and trying to move them into their decisions, but just give them the fact that Jesus Christ died for them on the cross and that he was raised from the dead and He is preparing a place for them in heaven and that he is the only way. And it's not based on emotion, it's based on truth. Do we have that truth in our hearts tonight? Jesus Christ has given man victory. Amen. Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Victory comes from you, O Lord. Victory comes from you, O Lord.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Grace to the Hearers with Eric Kluth of Calvary Chapel Coolidge. Don't forget to join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of First Samuel. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of today's program, we'd like to make available to you a free copy of today's message. We can send you a copy of today's message on audio CD when you email us at info at gracetothehearers.com. That's info at gracetothehearers.com. Or you can listen to or download the message as originally recorded at Calvary Chapel Coolidge. Just visit our website at gracetothehearers.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 520-723-7047. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 520-723-7047. Again, we invite you to visit our website at gracetothehearers.com, where we provide helpful information about our beliefs, service times, and a convenient map to our church if you're in the Coolidge, Arizona area and would like to visit us. The Bible teaching that you hear each day on Grace to the Hearers is from the worship services at Calvary Chapel Coolidge. So, if you've been blessed by today's message, join us for worship. Grace to the Hearers is the radio ministry of Pastor Eric Kluth of Calvary Chapel Coolidge. Please join us next time as we continue our study through the book of 1 Samuel. That's next time on Grace to the Hearers.